week, what we, what we realized or what we learned was this, that the kingdom of God is the realm of reality where the way or the rule of God reigns. It's the realm of reality where the way of God rules. Now, uh, I, I want to give you another definition because some of you, that may, that may really jive and make a lot of sense. Others of you uh, may, not, may not be quite connecting with that. So here's another definition of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is the living, breathing presence and purpose and reign of God on our planet. And what we learned is that the kingdom of God grows subtly, that it doesn't really hit us over the face. It's not like a gong uh, that, that sort of bangs and, and grabs our attention, but rather that the kingdom of God grows subtly. As Jesus taught us, uh, the kingdom of God is like yeast in bread, that it's always working, even when you don't see it, even when you don't notice it, yet it's powerfully working its way through our lives and through our world, and, and that it must be discovered, and, and that the, ultimately this way of God, this rule of God, is breaking into our broken world. And what I asked you last week was just one next step, and that was to email us ways in which you see the kingdom of God breaking through. And I want to share just a few examples that came in this week that will help give us a description and real-life application of what the kingdom of God really looks like. And I love this first one. It's a little bit of a lengthy passage from an email that I received, but I want to give it to you because I feel like it so perfectly illustrates the reality of the kingdom of God breaking into our brokenness. Uh, it says this, as a little bit of a backstory, I, I nannied a boy who passed away very suddenly about a year and a half ago. And then my grandpa uh, passed away shortly after him. And then my parents moved from Colorado to Texas. And in the midst of all the chaos, I remember my first peek into the kingdom of heaven. I was frustrated. I was crying. I was asking God why on the final drive down from Denver to my parents' house. And I really missed Keller, the little boy that I nannied. And I, and I was really having trouble having to say goodbye to my parents as they went, on a car, went from a, being a car ride away to a phone call or an airplane ride away. And as I was driving, I heard the voice clearly telling me, this is not what I have intended. I never intended for all of this to happen, but I love you and I promise I will heal your heart and I will make good come from this. And then as I looked at the mountains, the most beautiful sunset was unfolding. And it was in that moment that I knew the kingdom of heaven was here. God was right by my side through all the chaos, and he was working for good in my life. Uh, listen, church, in God's kingdom, peace comes in the midst of chaos because God is working to redeem your brokenness. If you need a picture of what God's kingdom looks like, if you're in the middle of chaos and you experience a measure of peace, it is the God's peace in the midst of chaos. That right there is the kingdom of God breaking in. It's a beautiful thing, subtle, but ever-growing and ever-beautiful. Another one, for the last 11 years of my life, I have been in a season of healing and allowing God to make me whole again. And it has not been a pretty journey, but it has been filled with love and encouragement and grace. In God's kingdom, there is healing from pain. Yesterday at Renee's Hope, the kingdom was breaking through as we fed and as we honored and as we cared for those in our society that are often cast aside, that are often ignored, that are often dehumanized. We were able to honor them, feed them, and care for them. Uh, it was the kingdom of God breaking in in this building yesterday as we did that. And again, thank you to all of you that played a part in that. Because in God's kingdom, no one will be hungry. And the social divisions that are so real in our culture simply will not exist. Does this help give you a picture 
of what the kingdom of God is really like, and it's breaking in. In the midst of our crazy, busy week, uh, where we've been trying to settle into our new home, we took a few moments one evening to sit on our back patio with a friend and just be together, and it was probably the only time this week that we sat down and relaxed, and, and I got to tell you that in God's kingdom, no one will be lonely, and we will all experience the richness of God-honoring community. That's what the kingdom of God looks like. One last example. Last week, uh, this is another one that came in. Last week, I was discouraged and so down that I was ready to give up. But through the encouragement of my wife, I was able to move past the discouragement and see hope. In God's kingdom, discouragement and despair are replaced with hope and joy. These are the kinds of, of things that allow and demonstrate that God's kingdom is breaking in. You know, the kingdom is, is a bit of a difficult concept, isn't it, as we talk about this? And, and one of the things that I realized after the message last week was that, that kingdom is, is pretty archaic language. We don't, we don't talk about a kingdom anymore because, uh, because it, we're, we're, we're so programmed, that, because we've grown up in a kingless world, we're programmed to never even think about a kingdom. Uh, and in fact, we're all about democracy here, where we elect our leaders, uh, but the, the, the idea of a kingdom is that the leader isn't elected. He's just the king, right? And, and so what the Bible says is, is that Jesus is king. We didn't elect him there. We didn't, we didn't put him there. But the Bible says that based on who Jesus is, he is the king. He is the creator. He stands over all creation, breathes creation into being, and now as the king over all of creation is bringing his rule to bear on that creation. And so while kingdom may be kind of foreign to us because we like to elect our leaders, the Bible is clear that because of who Jesus is, he is the king. He is ruler, creator, lover, and king. And we can either reject his kingship and choose to walk our own way and be our own king, or we can accept that he is in fact the king, that he is bringing his rule to bear on earth, and realize that his rule, though, is not heavy and it is not a burden, but his, rule, but his rule and his reign is redemptive, loving, and beautiful. Isn't that good news? And his rule brings peace and forgiveness and healing. So what I want to talk about today then is, is that scripture from time to time gives us some hints as to how we are to inherit this kingdom. How are we to sort of take ownership of God's beauty in the world. In other words, scripture says that there's a certain posture of our heart that is necessary if we're going to really change our lens through which we see the world to see his kingdom breaking in. That, that, that some of you right in the midst of your chaos, right in the middle of your mess and your brokenness, you may have, be having a really hard time seeing the kingdom of God breaking in. You may, have it, you may be having a really hard time seeing hope breaking into the despair. But what the scripture says is not only do we have to change our perspective through which we view the world, but part of what enables us to do that is a posture of our heart. That if we will place our heart in the right position, then we will be given a lens through which to see the world where, we might, where someone else might say, this situation is hopeless. Another person might say, while the situation seems hopeless, God is at work and his rule and his way is breaking in. And so what I want to talk to you today about is how to inherit his kingdom. How do we take ownership of God's beauty in the world? 
And how do we come to possess this thing called the kingdom? And, and I want to look at several passages uh, of Scripture. They're, they're all in Matthew. So if you turn in your Bibles to Matthew, uh, we'll have the passages up on the screen as well. And, and again, as a reminder, those of you who are smartphone users or tablet users, if you go to the YouVersion Bible app, uh, if you go to the live section, we've published uh, the Scriptures and the sermon notes uh, where you can add some of your own notes uh, to them and, and have them there for safekeeping. Uh, but, but I want to look at Matthew chapter 3, Matthew chapter 5, verse 3 to begin. And uh, it's just a short verse, uh, but here's what it says. Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, talking about inheriting the kingdom. It says this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You know, growing up, we are taught to be successful, aren't we? We're taught to make lots of money. And if you're in school, you're taught to get good grades. You follow the rules, line up straight, get good grades. All of this kind of thing is, is, is we want to do well in school, we want to be successful, we want to make money, and, and, and we don't want to be poor. Right? Our, our whole culture is, is and in fact, a lot of our school system is if you, if you go to school and you do well and you get a good job and you graduate and you pass that test and you do well on all the standardized tests, then you'll get a good job right out of college and you'll make lots of money. Some of you, that, that, that uh, sounds very, very familiar. And you're praying that you will do well on the test this week, right? Uh, so the idea of being poor, whether literally or poor in spirit, is, is not attractive to us at all. I, I mean, we, we look at Jesus' words and we're like, man, I, 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 thought the, I thought the gospel-centered life was about abundance. It, you know, Jesus promised an abundant life. And, and we just got out of a series talking about being rich with, with generosity and rich with community and, and rich with all these kinds of things. And, and so how is it that we're to be poor in spirit? And there's a tension here. Because this is exactly what Jesus says. Jesus says, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Well, we have to understand a little bit about this section of Scripture, which is called the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes are not a code of ethics. uh, That we ought to live in this way or you'll be punished. Uh, But rather, the the, the Beatitudes are, are promises of if we will live in this way, then here is what will be made available to us. So it's not a code of ethics. But, but rather a promise of, of how things are one day going to be. How things are going to be once God makes everything right. Once God puts everything back together. Once he heals all the brokenness. And, and as we said last week, as the, as once the brokenness becomes untrue, uh, then here's what, what life will be like. Those who are poor in spirit, will belong, the kingdom of heaven will belong to them. The, the, those who mourn will be comforted. Uh, the meek will inherit the earth. And, and those who, who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be filled. It's these promises of the way life is, is in the kingdom of God. It's not a code of ethics by which we're to live by, but a promise and a, you know, essentially a description of saying, here's what the kingdom of God is like. If you are mourning, if you've lost a loved one, if you've been disappointed deeply by something and you're in mourning, the kingdom of God is that you will be comforted. And so I, we can't understand this as being a code of ethics, but rather promises of the way we are which to live. It's, a, it's, it's, a, it's an encouragement for us to live right now in anticipation 
of the way things will be in God's future. Are you with me? That if we can live right now in anticipation of what God is going to do in the future, then, then all of a sudden there, there's this whole new way of life that's been opened up to us. And so essentially what, what being poor in spirit is not to say that, that the gospel-centered life is, is one in which you own very little, although that's a possibility. But in fact, what it really says is it has nothing to do with your financial status. But rather, being poor in spirit is to remain aware of our dependence upon God, whether in poverty or in wealth. So it has really nothing to do with our financial status, but rather a position of our heart. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who remain aware of their dependence upon God, for theirs is the kingdom of God. It's this way of being humbly dependent upon God's grace. You know, if you're anything like me, um, there are times when I don't do a very good job of this. There are times that rather than sort of being humbly dependent upon God's grace in my life, I am far too dependent upon my own self-sufficiency. And it's as though I were saying to God, I got this. Thanks, God, but I got this. I got this one. Take a break. You're the one that taught about Sabbath. Go ahead and take a Sabbath in my life. I'll take care of things while you're gone, right? That sounds ridiculous. But I wonder how many times our lives or the position of our heart are actually like that, are actually more in line with, God, I got this. I got it under control. Everything's fine. It's sort of this prideful way of, of, what I, of believing in what I can do on my own. And what Jesus says is that if you, will, if you are self-sufficient rather than God-dependent, if you are prideful in your own resources and abilities rather than depending upon God's grace each day, then you are robbing yourself of experience of life in the kingdom of God. The, the, the kingdom of God that's breaking in right here, right now. That the posture of our heart ought to be a humble dependence upon God and his grace. Well, it's sort of like the song that we sang, I may be weak and my flesh may fail, but God, you never will and your spirit is strong in me. It's that, it's that confession. God, my flesh may fail. And I may, I may be weak, but your spirit is strong. My flesh may fail, but my God, you never will. Jesus essentially says to us that if you will live in a constant awareness of your need for God and his grace, you are in a perfect position to receive his kingdom, not just in the future, but in the present as well. For the kingdom will be yours. In other words, it's a way of saying that those who are aware of your need for God then you will be allowed to experience the beauty of his kingdom. But if we're always self-sufficient, always dependent on our own, always, always believing and saying to God, God, I got this, then we're robbing ourselves of the beauty of the kingdom. Because I wonder how many times in your moment of weakness, in your moment of despair, in your moment of need, was it then that you saw God come through in the most powerful ways? You see, we tend to be more aware of his kingdom 
when we have a posture of dependence upon him. And Jesus talks about this all through the Gospels. He, he, he says, you know, blessed are the poor in spirit, for there, the kingdom of God is theirs. And it's harder for a rich man to in, enter in the kingdom of heaven, not like heaven and all the cultural assumptions, but it's harder for a rich man, a self-sufficient, uh, I got this, no worries, I have all my resources, I don't need you, God, rich man, to enter into the kingdom of heaven. It's harder for that than it is for a camel to enter the eye of a needle. Jesus is not talking about how do we gain salvation into a disembodied existence after life. But he's talking about how do we enter into the kingdom of God that's breaking in right now. And how do we begin to experience that? And he says that we ought to be poor in spirit. Let me give you an example of, of this from the Old Testament. In, the, in Genesis chapter 11, we, we get the story of the Tower of Babel. And the Tower of Babel is this group of people that get together and they say, oh, aren't we great? Uh, we're so amazing. We ought, to, um, we ought to build this tower up to the heavens, uh, build this really tall tower up to the heavens uh, so that we can all be gathered together uh, and everyone will see what we can accomplish. Uh, the, I don't remember the exact words there in Genesis, but the idea is let's do this to display our own power and our own self-sufficiency. And what God comes down and once God sees it, he's not pleased with it. And he ends up scattering the languages, uh, which is why it's called the Tower of Babel, right? And so there's the story. And, and the difference is our ideas to parade our own abilities versus God's ideas followed by my obedience, This is what it means to be poor in spirit, a humble dependence upon God's grace where we might seek, God, what is your idea? What is your plan? What is your role? What is your desire? And then we humbly walk in obedience to the king that we might experience his kingdom versus trying to be our own king where we would parade around all of our own resources and our own ideas. Jesus says that in order to inherit the kingdom of God, we must be poor in spirit. Those of you who are leaders uh, in your workplace, you may lead different ministries here and there. I don't know, all, all of you are leaders in some capacity. It is easy in leadership to say, I got this. It is easy in leadership to depend on our own ideas. And God, as the leader of this church, has to continually break me of that and say, you are far more dependent upon yourself and your own ideas than you are on me and my ideas. And so rather than try to conjure up all of your own success, why not? Just humbly walk in obedience. And, and while that's a good word for me, I believe that's also a good word for some of you in your leadership position. Well, I'm, no, I'm not a leader. I'm just a peon at work. Are you a dad? Then you're a leader. Are you a husband? Then you're a leader. All of us are leaders in different capacities. And I wonder if we took this idea into our areas of leadership in our life, that we might remain poor in spirit, humbly dependent upon God, that we might receive the kingdom of God, that we might inherit it. Well, turn over to Matthew chapter 19. 
And we're just kind of going to hit a hodgepodge of, of passages here that talk about uh, receiving God's kingdom or inheriting God's kingdom. But Matthew chapter 19, uh, ver- I want to start reading at verse 13. We want to focus in on verse 14. But 13 says this, Then the people brought the little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and to pray for them. But the disciples rebuked them. And, and Jesus said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. And when he had placed his hands on them, he, he went on from there. The kingdom of heaven belongs to little children. Isn't that something? Now, we could use this as an opportunity to talk about all kinds of things. And uh, we could say, well, there's certain, you know, there's an age of accountability and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, and the, but here's what I want to say. If you put, here, here's what I've learned from being a dad. Children uh, don't have any of the filters that we do. <laughs> and sometimes that's great. And other times it's not so great. But not only do children not have filters, but they're also very unassuming. In other words, if you put a white middle-class child with a colored um, lower-class child, they will play and have fun and have no barriers that we tend to create as adults. They are very unassuming, and it's a beautiful thing. In fact, there's a, there's a movement in Fort Collins where um, I think it's called the Hospitality Network, and different churches are opening their doors for homeless families to stay in their, their building for a week at a time, and it's on a rotation, and churches partner together and, and we're sort of looking at maybe being involved in this. And, um, but one of, the, one of the things that they encourage families to do is to bring their family to, to play with the families who are being hosted in the church. And, and what happens is this, this beautiful knocking down of any, any walls or social walls uh, where children just play together because they're so unassuming. And so when Jesus says the, the kingdom of God belongs to these little children, there's all kinds of things that this could mean, and, and, and books and books have been written about it. But I wonder, when was the last time that you were very unassuming in your approach with God? You see, the children go and they play without any preconceived notions about who those other children are. And I wonder, when was the last time you went to God without any preconceived notions about how he's going to work in your life? Or about how he's going to answer that prayer that you've been praying for years? You see, our tendency is to, and what we do when we're self-sufficient, and we just want to add God onto our life as an accessory that we put on and take off. Maybe I'll put on my God necklace on Sunday, but when I go to work, i got to take it off. And when I'm in need, I want to put on my God necklace again because I really need God to come through to me. And what happens is in our self-sufficiency, when we're just sort of using God whenever we can't make it, right? God, I got this. Oh, never mind, I don't. Come in and get me and rescue me. What happens is in our self-sufficiency, we tend to bring God the tools by which we feel like he can work. And so we say, God, here's my success. 
Here's my talent. Here's my wealth. Here's my, here's my influence. Here's my platform that you've given me. And all of these kinds of things. And we say, now go ahead and take the things that I'm giving you and go ahead and do your work. Now, a lot of times God will choose to do that. He will choose to take what you've given him and, and work through that. He will choose to take your position of leadership, the platform that you've been given, the level of success and wealth that you've been given, and he will say, now direct all of that to my glory. But we have to be open to the possibility that God will sometimes say, I don't care what you bring. I've got my own thing going. I'm doing a new thing. I'm not going to work through your wealth and success and platform, but rather this time I want to work through your failures and through your mess ups and through your brokenness. And all of a sudden that doesn't sound very much fun. But we need to, we need to approach God with awe and with reverence as he is the king because he is and with no preconceived notions of how he might work in our lives. And when we do that, it opens up a brand new way of life to experience his kingdom. I wonder how many times one of your preconceived notions about how God is going to work in your life is blocking you from experiences, experiencing his kingdom. His kingdom is, he's breaking in. He's trying to break in. But you're saying, no God, you were supposed to do it this way. And God wants to say, I'm doing a brand new thing. You can't put me in a box. You can't dictate how I'm going to work. For I am the king. And I'm worthy of your worship. I'm worthy of your reverence. And so approach me humbly, being not self-sufficient, but God-dependent. And I just think that maybe is part of what it means to approach God as a little child would. Full trust, full faith, unassuming, no preconceived notions, just you're God, you're my king, what would you like to do? And sometimes God will lead you very directly. I want you to go here and I want you to do this, right? Some of you are like, I'm, I'm jealous of the, the clear passion and leading that God has given Wendy because I, I don't have that in my life. But sometimes he says, this, this, or this, yes. Go and do it. But let's not make the mistake of, of bringing our preconceived notions to God when we approach him. Turn back over to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, same part of the Beatitudes. Uh, in fact, these, uh, these uh, two truths uh, bookend the kingdom of, or, or, or the Beatitudes. These, these teachings on the kingdom of God bookend the Beatitudes. Uh, first, blessed are the poor in spirit. And then last, in verse 10, uh, blessed are those who are, are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, if we didn't like talking about being poor, we certainly don't like talking about being persecuted. And, and let's just be all, let's just, let's just set this as a foundation. In America today, 
uh, we are not persecuted for our faith. We're meeting openly. Uh, you know, yes, someone might make fun of you at work. Uh, I get, you know, the, the worst persecution that I get as a pastor is, oh, what do you do for a living? I work at the Apple store. And that was a joke. Because whenever I say I'm a pastor, they're like, oh. And then, like, it's cut off. Because they're like, what is he going to do? Is he going to, like, invite me to church incessantly? Is he going to, like, do this or that or that? I mean, like, pastor has all kinds of baggage. And so, you know, when I'm getting in my haircut and they're like, what do you do for a living? I'm a painter. I'm a construction worker. I'm a, I'm a Mac genius. Um, we're not persecuted. But Jesus says, if we are persecuted because of righteousness then the kingdom belongs to us. Then we'll inherit this beautiful way of life called the kingdom of God. And I want us to realize that because we don't live in a land where we're really persecuted, I want us to realize today that the gospel message is offensive. It's filled with love and hope and joy but it is offensive. And the reason it is offensive is because the gospel message says there is a king in your life and it is not you. And people are like, what? They don't want to hear that. They don't want to hear that the message that God, the creator of the universe, has sent his own son to die on a cross for you. And in return, you must give your life to him. Surrender your way to him and his way and stop trying to be the king of your own kingdom, but embrace his kingdom that's growing steadily and subtly but powerfully in the world. And that message is offensive. And so a truly gospel-centered life, a life that is continually pointing to the reality of Jesus and his kingship will be offensive to some people. There will be some people who won't like you because of your faith. There will be some people who will reject you because of your faith. And, And Jesus says that when this happens, we are opening ourselves up to the greater beauty of the kingdom of God. In those moments where we might find, feel lonely, that God will be our company. That God will be our source. That God will meet our need. And I want to tell you the difference between the kingdom of God and, and, and the kingdoms of the world. The kingdoms of this world, including when we make ourselves the king of our own kingdom, is a power over. In other words, I possess power over you by force by coercion, by dominance, any kind of kingdom that is, is, has its origins in this world is going to be a kingdom of power over. It's the only way to find victory is through dominance, through coercion, through force, through overcoming you, all of these kinds of things. The kingdom of God, though, it turns all of that upside down and says that power is not found in dominance and and coercion and force, but rather, instead of the kingdom of God being a power over, it's a power under, where true power doesn't come from force, but from service. It doesn't come from coercion, but from meekness. It doesn't come from dominance, but rather through forgiveness and humility. 
That if we live in these ways, this power under sort of way, the kingdom way, the way of Jesus, then we are opening ourselves up to a far greater power than anything in the world, than anything that could be forceful or through coercion or through dominance. The, the, the real power is in power under service, forgiveness, humility. And so the kingdom of God, the gospel-centered life is so revolutionary and it calls us to such a standard and a different way of life that it is offensive and threatening to the kingdoms of this world. Let me give you a real life biblical example. King Herod, his seat was secure. In the very opening of the, of the New Testament, uh, in the first century, Jesus breaks into the world, not with trumpets, not with red carpets, not not with a throne, but he enters humbly as a baby born in a stable to a teenage girl. And King Herod, whose seat of power was secure, was threatened by this baby. The kingdom of God and its power under is always threatening to power over. Does that make sense? And so Jesus says, if we take on this radical way of life, if we take on this life of power under, there will be those, because they feel threatened, that will try to overcome you through power over. But know this, power under is always more powerful than power over. The forgiveness is always more powerful than revenge. Jesus, in telling his disciples that they will be persecuted, is teaching us about the nature of the kingdom of God and where true power is lies. It's a beautiful picture that God gives us. And so essentially, if we will take these ways of life, if we will humbly walk before God, if we will, if we will humbly approach God unassuming, without preconceived notions, and, and if we will have a kingdom or a power under kind of life, then Jesus says, you will possess the kingdom of God. You will inherit the kingdom of God. This beautiful way of life will be yours to experience, and not just to experience, but to go on and share. And and to go on and spread the good news about power under, spread the good news about the kingdom, spread the good news that Jesus is king. He is a king who was killed, but not killed forever. He was resurrected, and so now he deserves our dominance. What was sure at his birth is stamped for certain at the resurrection and the cross. And so Jesus wants us to realize that we can live as a king of our own kingdom. Or we can recognize he is king and live according to his kingdom. Real quickly, though, in Paul, in 1 Corinthians 6, in Galatians chapter 5, he gives us warnings that there are ways of life that will rob us of this kingdom of, God, of, the, of the kingdom of God, of experiencing the beauty of the kingdom of God right here, right now. There are ways of life, and he specifically points out certain lifestyles. It's not exhaustive, but it's uh, extensive. And, and what he says is that, These ways of life will keep us from the kingdom of God, that the beauty of God's way will be out of reach if we will participate in these activities. 
that are not in accordance with God's will. And he lists off greed and drunkenness and slanderers and sexual immorality and wrongdoers. And yet these are the things that we're most prone to without Christ. I, I, I mean, we're all broken and, and aren't these the things that we're most prone to do given to our own way as the king of our own kingdom? We're likely to be greedy. We're likely to participate in all the things that will rob us of the way of life in, the, in, in, in God's kingdom. And the message of the gospel is that precisely because these are the natural ways of life, this is why we need the real king and his kingdom to break into our brokenness. It is because we are most naturally given to greed and drunkenness and slander and sexual immorality and wrongdoing that we need the beauty of God's kingdom in our life. And that, church, is the main tenet of the gospel that we are a broken people in need of a Savior, that we are, make terrible kings. I hate to tell you that, but you make a terrible king of your own life. And the Bible points us to the real king and invites us into his kingdom.